Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Creasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. Hello and welcome back to American Tennis. And I have had about a three or four week vacation here. Great time with my family. Great road trip. Great opportunity to see the country and to uh, just do some doggone things that I have not been able to do in my whole lifetime. I mean, it's always, always about work versus family, isn't it? I mean, when we're, and how do we do this? How do we balance it and get the balance? You know, I mean, my golly, you know, my father always said, God first, family second, job third, but all of us know how hard things have become, even with the help of computers. Yeah, actually, computers have made our lives so much more complicated, haven't they? And maybe uh, it's helped in so many ways, but uh, we sure have become busier and just trying to put out fires. But anyhow, I'm back. Folks, this is our fifth year of American tennis. I'm just so excited to be Continuing on with the American Tennis Program, I just think it's a great media to be able to talk to talk to everybody out there. But also it's a great media where I have to think and I have to write and I have to get down my ideas. And I'm working on another book or maybe two or three books here. Again, I've got five, six, five books out on tennis and then two others out uh, about the history of Clemson Athletics. And I'm very proud of where the Tigers play and uh, all that uh, the 100-year history of Clemson Athletics. But I am um, working now on uh, another book, and it's going to be a while. I uh, do it the old-fashioned hard way of just writing and uh, actually <laughs> making notes, writing. Then t- I do know how to type from my typing teacher many years ago. But uh, anyhow... We'll be doing it the old-fashioned, longhand way, and I'll, I'll let you know how that's coming about. I'm quite excited about it. But uh, listen, this is Coach Chuck Creasy uh, in my 47th year coaching, fifth year of American tennis. And um, 
go see my website. If you can, folks, it's chuckcreasy.net, K-R-I-E-S-E, chuckcreasy.net. And, uh, again, 47 years in this wonderful, wonderful game. Thank you. Uh, I want to hats off there again to the Yellow Ball Network. Jason Haynes and the the, the uh, just a wonderful job he did didn't get in the UR Tennis Network established. But uh, thanks JP Weber and taking on over the Yellow Ball Network. But folks, I'm going to have a program today. Basically, uh, we do not have um, a guest. Today, I wanted to talk with you briefly and set the table. Uh, again, this is a great platform for me to be able to get my ideas and my opinions out there, and I hope some good opinions, some learning out there that uh, we can all start thinking about. But it dawned upon me uh, as I traveled and as I write notes down and as I think about things that really are all of our problems in tennis started with getting away from the process of the process of education uh, that our sports bring and when we went to the product driven entertainment um, and where we're headed now I think is on a crash course with maybe something that could destroy our sport and probably is destroying our sport for and it's not just the older folks who were around tennis when there wasn't any money. You may, there wasn't any money back before 1969 to speak of. There was a, a pro circuit, um, and there was, I guess, some uh, funding done and things. But the money, everything started when uh, Open Tennis started in 1969, uh, when the, the money really came into it. And uh, really, we had some great, great years here in the United States. If you look at all the champions we had from really 1970 to 1995 to 2000, we we really are uh, in a drought right now, aren't we? I mean, if you look at uh, the last American champion on the men's side, it was 2002, I think, 2003, Andy Roddick. So that's nearly about 80 tries, 70 or 80 tries. Uh, if you if you look at the amount of Grand Slams, let's see, let's see this right. 16 years, sorry, 16 times 4, 64 tries, 64 tries. And on the women's side, uh, thanks to the Williams sisters, we've had some champions. But really, we haven't had any since Lindsay Davenport and Jennifer Capriati and there are other than the Williams sisters. So we were in a drought. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The proof is always in the pudding. But we are in a drought. We experienced great, great um, results and many champions from 1970 to about 1995, and then the drought hit. Now, what happened to make the drought hit? It's not that people stopped trying. It's not I, – I don't really believe that, hey, listen, with the fall of the Soviet Union, we finally had all of those great Eastern Europeans – out playing and, and sure that that affected the game a lot. I don't believe that. Hey, listen, now that it's more than just Europe and the United States and maybe a few choice South American question uh, countries and uh, Australia as well. I really, really believe that we did something here to hurt ourselves as well. 
sure, the competition is great, but we did something to really, really hurt ourselves. And I've thought about this a lot, but it really did start with us becoming more driven by the product uh, part of Tennessee, the uh, the, excite- the entertainment part of it and the money uh, over the process-driven um, education part of the game. So, And where we really have gone wrong is once we open it up to um, – that part, that thinking, the product. What are we getting out of it? What is it? What you know? Who, uh, who's making the money, and what's going on there, and all those things that go along with it. Then the marketeers basically, basically took over. It took over in many, many ways, and once the marketeers took over, our sport has suffered. And how have we suffered? Well. Um, all of those things that really, really inspire and uh, cause long-lasting love of the sport and for the inquisitive minds to work uh, much better, uh, that those things have been sort of sidetracked. Now it's about how many numbers we have, how many people are playing, how much money people are making, and uh, my golly, now we're diluting, polluting, and prostituting our sport to the place where we're even changing the fabric of the sport um, in changing the scoring system and changing the formats. And all of these knee-jerk reactions are going to hurt us, and I'm going to tell you how, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth when I come back. i got to go to commercial right now, though. Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. Again, making them in America, and we need to 
make um, a sport that inspires, not something that um, is just done for the money, not something that's just done for the the quick show of it all and uh, popularity of it all. That doesn't inspire. So you've heard me say very often, hard to pick up, hard to put down, easy to pick up, easy to put down. Let me tell you a quick story. Okay, so we're traveling 6,500 miles with my family this last couple weeks. We really had a great tour of the Southwest, and we drove all the way from uh, South Carolina all the way, way out past Grand Canyon, and just had had a great, great trip. And my golly, what you learn about your family and each other and the time spent together and, and it's the little things that are priceless but as the trip got more and more uh, boring <laughs> and we got tired of listening to the same uh, albums and the same talk shows and different things um, I put on the Johnny Cash song about um, I've been everywhere man you know and if you haven't, haven't ever heard the Johnny Cash song I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere across the desert sand, man. Uh, You know, it it goes on and on, and it is so good. And so I put it on until I got my kids starting to hum it. And then I went to the place where I said, hey, guys, wouldn't this be great if we could learn this whole song? And at first we counted how many uh, cities Johnny Cash said, and he goes, I've been to Reno, Omaha, I'm Nebraska, you know, and on and on and on and on and on. And um, and I counted 24 in each stanza, that's 96. And then he always has uh, a little slogan at the end that says, uh, been to Amarillo and then I'm a killer. And, um, and then it says, see what I mean at the end. And But 20, basically 24 cities and then the 25th place so it's really pretty cool the way it's done so we were trying to write them all down and trying to memorize all of these songs all of these words and I said wouldn't it be cool by the time we got back home we could all sing this whole thing and I had my kids into this until and I'm telling we had it into it my daughter had copied the whole all of the first and this half of the second stanzas about Oh, golly, 40-some cities, and we were going through it and over and over and over. And, again, I know driving my wife and her mother a little bit crazy here, but we were having a ball in the back of the the SUV. And uh, then all of my sudden, sudden, now here's the point. My son comes up with this idea, Papa, hey, Papa, Maybe we could just look it up. I said, no, don't look it up. We're going to do it the hard way. My son looks it up on the doggone cell phone. And sure enough, here it pops up really quick on Google. And sure enough, he goes, here's all the words. Do you know? Now, maybe it was just my kids were tired of doing it over and over and over again. But do you know that the excitement and the enticement of singing that song and learning all the words went from, on a scale of 1 to 10, about a 9 to a 3. And I said to my wife, I said, there you go. There you go. When you don't have to work hard for something, it loses its interest. 
Easy to pick up, easy to put down. Hard to pick up, hard to put down. Now, where? what does this have to do with, with tennis? Well, it was obvious. It was so, so obvious that after my son looked up all of the words to that song and we learned, saw all of the cities written out in front of us, it lost its mystique of being something almost impossible to do. It wasn't impossible. It was close to impossible. It was darn hard. But it was really, really something hard that we were all working and trying to do, and uh, the girls in the back were jumping in and saying, Papa, Papa, this is the one. No, no, you got the city wrong, Papa. You got it wrong. It went from there to no, here is the way it goes. And we had the ready-made song right in front of us, and guess what? The ready-made song lost its interest. Now, it doesn't mean that one a great song. We didn't listen to it a few more times, but the enthusiasm level went to pot. Now, folks, am I, am I, am I making a stretch here? Am I stretching? But here is what we have done with tennis. And I am saying that we started, the first mistake we did was we started having mandates. We started having systems. Our, our USTA and our governing bodies started coming up with systems. And uh, the marketeers, of course, may be initiated a lot because of the racket sales and all of the manufacturing sales that they market the numbers and everything. But the minute that the USTA said, okay, we have to do it this way, the ROG system, the red, orange, and green, this is it, folks. This is the pathway. When it turned to a mandate and went away from something that is a just a good teaching tool, that people could use or not use, when it went to a mandate, that is when the numbers actually have declined. The declined is, in and look, they will come up with numbers that we have, have introduced thousands and thousands of people to the game, but it is a fact that the red ball deal is dead. It's dead in the water. The orange ball deal is almost dead, and the green is on its way. And USTA, come on, call me, call me, email me if you don't think I'm right here. But the green and the whole state of South Carolina right now, we had 40. Yep, you heard me. 40 in the whole state of South Carolina, 40 kids sign up for green ball or green dot tennis. Green dot tennis. So it, it goes against human nature that when you do not make people struggle for things and work for things and fight for things, easy to pick up becomes easy to put down. Hard to pick up is hard to put down. The challenge is the thing that makes the human being stand up and say, how can I do this? How can I do this? And um, we, uh, we really just... One of the very, very first things that um, I do when I teach camps and, and teach classes or anything is I talk to youngsters about the evolution or the progression. I like progression more. I don't like the word evolution. The progression 
that you must consciously make from being compliant. That means that you're just doing it because somebody told you to, to the place where you are committed, where your mind is engaged now, to the place where you are actually inspired and where you, uh, I, I call it inspired enthusiasm, enthusiasm. Um, and I even bring in that enthusiasm comes from the word, the Greek derivative, Theos, the spirit of God within. And I tell youngsters that if you get to the point of enthusiasm about what you are doing, this is a great, great thing because it's almost a calling and you will be on fire for it. So from compliance to commitment to inspired enthusiasm and then on to developing what they call your reticular activating system or your law of attraction where you actually are hungry, hungry for that next step. Many times on our program I've brought up the great Clarence Mabry's wonderful words that was such that were such loaded uh, words and was such a loaded language for me and as a young 30-year-old coach. When 1980, 1980, at the National Teachers Conference, the great Clarence Mabry, when he was asked, what is the most important quality of a championship tennis player? And he scratched his head and he said, most definitely it is the hunger of an inquisitive mind. The hunger of an inquisitive mind. And, and how, and, and, and this is such universal truth, and that struck me so strongly that during this time of education versus entertainment and where are we going to go with our game, it has helped me stay inquisitive. It's still to this day, and it, it keeps me inquisitive, where I write down almost everything. I, write, I carry a notebook. I write down ideas uh, when I'm driving down the road. Write down ideas when I get up in the middle of the night. But you must allow your mind to work and to search for the answers. One of the best books ever written, I believe, about how youngsters learn is called The Talent Code uh, by Daniel Coyle, I believe it is, C-O-Y-L-E, The Talent Code, C-O-D-E. But the first chapter is all about how the brain works, and it talks about the myelin tissue of the brain and how when a person becomes interested in something, their brain reaches out and it searches for the answer. It searches for the answer. And that is how greatness is achieved. I want to tell you a quick, another quick story. During our trip on our way back uh, recently, we stopped at Los Alamos uh, Research Center in New Mexico. Now, most of you uh, probably understand and, and remember from your history that Los Alamos was where all of the research was done in a period from 19, just 1942, I believe, or 43 actually, from 43 to 45, from 1943 to 45, that's where the nuclear, uh, they brought all the scientists together and the atomic bomb, the nuclear bomb, was made. Now, it was also made in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. They had 80,000 people in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, working on trying to get 
just a small amount of uranium to make it. And then a place up in Washington is where they made the plutonium for the second bomb, but it was in Los Alamos, New Mexico, was where this was done. Now, this was all done because in 1939, Albert Einstein sent President Roosevelt a letter and said, it has been done. Nuclear fission is has been proven to work. And basically, if the U.S. does not get, uh, this could be a great help or great, great weapon if the u.s does not get this first other countries will and it's a fact that five of the countries of the world and the civilized world at that time were working on the nuclear bomb as germany was and japan was and they were even working together if uh the war we were just fortunate that einstein sent this letter to roosevelt and then roosevelt got on the letter and basically directed his uh, department of engineers to figure it out, and he put a guy, what was the name of the guy? Well, the the guys, Robert I. Oppenheimer was the scientist they found, and uh, a great, great history movie is called uh, uh, Little Boy, and I think it's Fat Man and Little Boy. It was about the first two bombs in the Los Alamos situation. But here's the point to all of this. We stopped there, and um, as we were going through all of the history of this, I I thought about how they solved this problem. They solved the problem because they had to solve the problem. They had to start with the end in mind, as old Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Effective People taught us all in the 1980s. The Stephen Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Effective People – one of the, the biggest thing was that start with the end in mind. In other words, you figure out what you want and you work backwards. You work backwards and figure out and solve the problems. You don't look forward and say, oh, my golly, we can't do this because of this. We can't do this because of this. We can't do this because it would offend someone. We can't do this because it wouldn't be politically correct. We can't do this because... This is just too hard. We can't do this because they didn't do it. We can't beat this person because the guy I lost to before. And too much information paralyzes, as you can see. So this was just an amazing fact. I, I talked to my wife, and I showed her all this, what they had, 80,000 people working in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. They put everything together in a very, very short period of time for people to live, to operate, and to work. And they created a town in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, they created this place just to get the information, the uranium, just to get the uranium together. Then in Los Alamos, Oppenheimer had to get a team together. They got a team together of all these, the best scientists, the best of the best. They brought them together, and they said basically when they all got there, Oppenheimer gave everyone a very stirring speech. And this speech... Basically, everything was about, we've got to get this done first. We have a purpose. And they even had a big sign up. It said, "Who's uh, who will have the last son? Or who's, let's see, the, the, the sign said in the workplace, whose son will be the last to die in this World War II? And it's a terrible thought, but they said they had 
They had to find a solution. They had to find a solution. So they went after this thing, and the, the, the problems they had to solve were unbelievable. But this, the problems of getting them together, housing them, feeding them, getting them, making a team out of them, bringing all these great minds together. Could you imagine the egos? Could you imagine the egos of these great, the best physicists, some of the best physicists in the world, all coming together and having to become a team? Uh, General Ashley Grove was the name of the guy. General Ashley Grove was the name of the guy that was in charge of making it all work. Now, he and Oppenheimer were direct opposites. Ashley Grove was this general in charge. Oppenheimer was the creative one. They had their frictions too, but they and all had to work together. And they had to make it work. And the reason it worked is because they had to make it work. Now, do you think for a minute that they could have gotten all these people to work together just because of compliance, because you have to get this done? It's a mandate. You must know. You could have never gotten it to work. To have people committed, yes, they must be committed in mind. They had to be inspired. But every waking moment, their RAS was locked in. So what I'm saying to everybody out there is this. Our tennis problems in this United States of America and our lack of champions does not stem from anything else other than we've been barking up the wrong tree. We are not inspiring people. Now, I want to start out by saying how we disinspire them. By making, listen, the red, orange, green stuff, great teaching tools. USTA, you got it all wrong when you mandated. You got it all wrong. It inspires no one. Look, I've been in tennis 47 years. I want tennis to succeed. I had no skin in the game of 10 and under tennis, no skin in the game at all. But the minute you guys said you have to do this, Actually, do you know even one European guy who was in charge of things, and the boss came up to me and says, are you telling me, Coach Creasy, that the only reason you're really against this is because you're being forced to do it? And I said, well, absolutely, this United States of America. I don't want socialist tennis. I don't want things where the gym, that doesn't get you anywhere. Where We will have no innovation out of socialism. Folks, it's never worked in the history of the world. It's not going to work now. And I told him, absolutely, that's the reason why you have a great teaching tool. Inspire people to use this in other ways. Get them hooked on it because they believe it is a great tool. And I think that probably the only ones that are still using it are the people who do think it's a great tool, but not because you have to. Now, then we went to the college tennis. What happened with college tennis? Oh, my golly, all these programs are dropping. Well, the reason the programs are dropping did not have anything to do with the game of tennis. It did have not have anything to do with the scoring in the game of tennis. It had everything to do with not inspiring people, not inspiring people to pursue excellence and to go after. When did this all start? It started when the NCAA made all their mandates in 1991-92 and started dumbing down the sport. Now, the ITA is hugely responsible for it, hugely, because the ITA has always 
claim to be the voice of college tennis. If you want to do it, you better be on board with the ITA, the good old intercollegiate tennis. It used to be the ITCA, folks, Intercollegiate Tennis Coaches Association. Now it's allowed marketing teams to come in. Now it's allowed marketeers to be in. So now the ITA calls themselves Intercollegiate Tennis Association. They call themselves the governing body, but in a sense they are only Listen to me, folks. They're only a union. They're a union. Do unions work as far as inspiring workers? Well, everybody wants more money, but everybody knows no. Every union worker out there in the United States understands that the only free cheese in life comes in a mousetrap. With the ITA, the only free cheese comes with a mousetrap. And only time that and again, it goes to the heart of things in not inspiring people. The college, now where are we with college tennis? We are diminishing in numbers. We are diminishing in inspiration. We are not turning out professional players anymore. The college scoring has been mutilated. It's not even close. It's not even tennis anymore with this no ad scoring. And you coaches out there, and, and I know, listen, you know who you are, but you coaches out there saying, oh, it's exciting. Shame on you. Are you kidding me? Shame on you. Oh, it's exciting. That, that is so juvenile, elementary, and that is so, so less. And that is dumbing down the essence of what our sport should be teaching and all should be about. And shame on you if you just say, oh, no ad scoring's exciting. The excitement is really. And, and if that's all you see in tennis, you, folks, I had a, a very, uh, I actually call him a coaching big shot from the ITA come up to me and said, your problem is you think it's a sport and more of a life and death situation. He said to me, do you know your problem? It's just a game. It should be for entertainment. And I said, is that really all you see as a college coach in this game? I see it as so much deeper, and this game is so much deeper. Now, folks, the college scoring, once it was changed three years ago, and I saw this writing on the wall at an ITF tournament in Atlanta, one of the guys that was on the junior tennis committee came up to me and I said, you know, our problem is that this could drift down into junior tennis as no ad scoring is abbreviated. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'd want to do the college scoring. And I said, oh, so that's the trap that you're using for everyone. For junior tennis, they're saying, oh, let's use college scoring. And now they're doing one set doubles matches, one set no ad doubles matches. Are you kidding me? At the National 18 Boys in Florida two weeks ago, folks, they did abbreviated set, two, four game sets with no ad scoring. Now, do you really, really believe that we got the true champions out of that tournament? Do you really, really believe that we're not going to have skewed events? Do you really, really believe out there that this is going to inspire our children and our young people to play the game? Do you think it really inspires coaches to want to coach and hang in this game? Do you really think it inspires? You're barking up the wrong tree, USTA and IT, ITA. What are you thinking? 
you are a support organization, and 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 let's. While I'm on it, I'm going to just say this: the USTA with your jun- the junior events, what you're doing is, is just terrible, terrible. You will not inspire anyone. Now, what will happen in four or five years as their numbers dwindle? Those that do make it through the USTA juniors and the college scoring probably won't question when they want to push NOAD scoring and abbreviated scoring into the professional ranks. Last week, last week, this was brought to me. Now, I have to look this up, and don't do not, I do not know exactly this, but our head of the ITF, I heard, was pushing to use two out of three sets for Davis Cup instead of three out of five sets. And they always say, oh, the people's uh, concentration level is not long. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? When that that flavor of the day or flavor of the month passes and you say, where are we going to go to then with the substance for our tennis? Well, folks, I heard it missed by one vote of being dumbed down to two out of three sets instead of three out of five. So here's where we're at right now, folks. And But I want to make that point that this all started when we turned our sport over to the marketeers. When we, whenever you bring money into the equation, people fight for numbers. They, they uh, fight for uh, the hype of it, the popularity of the sport, and so on. So I want, I'm bringing all these things out so that I want this to be an educational forum, and uh, we need to have some discussions with some of the marketeers and some of the USTA or ITA people. I'm hoping to get them on here in the coming weeks. But I will keep fighting. I am not inspired by tennis right now. I've been in 47 years. And any of you have been in longer than 20 or 30 years, you know what a wonderful impact that tennis has on our lives and your life, my life, and every coach's life, but our ability to work with young people. But if it's regulated to just the dumb down of an abbreviated scoring event that really doesn't mean anything, that doesn't really have any substance, how in the world, how in the world can we go on with this? And again, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but whenever you bring in regulation, whether it's in the school systems or whether it's in the government or whether it's when you overly regulate like we're doing in tennis now and you make it into a socialist situation, uh, you will not inspire and, and we're in trouble. So wrong leaders, I'm not saying bad leaders, but I'm just saying our, the wrong people are in leadership positions as well because you have people that become marketeers and they see the marketing. We need educators in our leadership positions. We need the great coaches like the Wayne Bryans. We need the Robert Lanza. We need the Dennis Ralstons. We need the Bob McKinleys. We need the Jack uh, Sharps, and we, we need the Jerry Basket. We need the coaches and those people who can inspire young people. We need the true educators. There is tremendous amount of talent out there. There's a tremendous amount of uh, tennis opportunities for learning, 
and our sport can become something that inspires once again. But popularity does not inspire. Money does not inspire. This hype and the what they're going after does not inspire. We need to get it back to the, the simple way of growing the sport because it is a great sport of learning. And we need in 10 to 20 or 30 years for it to be a pillar of our learning situation for young people. The way they're going now, the flavor of the month blows away faster than, again, bad, bad, you know, daggone smoke in a hurricane. And um, we really, folks, need to think long and hard about who our leaders are, and we need to put the people into leadership position who are educators first and entertainers maybe somewhere down the line. We need to get the entertainment industry out of tennis. And uh, there's a place for it, but it's not in the, the, the arena that, um, that will grow and go on. And I'm about out of time here. I, I wanted to just tell you that uh, some of the people that we're going to have on coming up, uh, we will have great debates over this topic. And uh, once again, uh, please think about what I'm saying uh, and think of the substance that hard to pick up will be hard to put down. The easy to put pick up, I don't care how much money you make out of it, easy to pick up will also be easy to put down, and we sure don't want that in college. We don't want it in junior tennis. And um, if we want great professional players again, we need to inspire our youngsters with something more than the hype and the product of what they can get out. They need to be in love with the process. The process is the only thing that will inspire. God bless you all. reminding you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life and it has very little to do with a win or loss. We'll see you next week on American Tennis. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.